Edify means to enlighten, encourage, and uplift individuals intellectually, morally, and spiritually. And that's exactly what our Edify podcast guests do as they share practical wisdom on living our faith in public. I'm Scott Landry. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome everyone to the Edify podcast. Our guest today is Paulina Guzik, Professor of Communications at the Pontifical University of John Paul II in Krakow, Poland. She teaches a course there titled Communications Inside and Outside the Church, according to John Paul II and Pope Francis. Paulina also is an editor-in-chief of JP2TV, which airs content for the university and for Polish national television. There, she hosts a weekly show called Between Heaven and Earth. She's also a Polish correspondent for the Catholic news site Crux. Welcome, Paulina. Thank you so much for having me. So some references to Poland and Krakow. What was it like growing up Catholic in Poland when you were young, when we had a Polish Pope, St. John Paul II? I mean, imagine that you live in a country that is not free, that is under communism. The shelves are empty and people are um, persecuted for their faith. And your parents take you to church every Sunday. Um, I remember my religious education classes that were inside the church because it was not allowed to have them at schools. Um, so I remember that very well. And I remember especially the hope that Pope John, the po John Paul II gave us. So the hope that John Paul gave us was especially visible to me in 1991. That's the first World Youth Day I remember in person because it was hosted in my hometown in Częstochowa. So for the first time, because of John Paul II, I saw a crowd of vibrant, colorful people from the West. I mean, Poland was just gray at the time, even in 91, after, you know, the fall of the Berlin Wall, it was still gray. We were still picking up, you know, life, basically, after all the 50 years of communism. And so when I saw this crowd, it was just amazing. This was the kind of hope and vision that John Paul II had, because I, as a child, you know, he kind of vaccinated me with this, with this hope, with the joy, and said, you're the part of the West. You're not anymore, you know, uh, you're not anymore part of the, of the Soviet bloc. You're the part of the West, and your generation will pick it up from here. Here in the United States, we often credit two people for the downfall of communism, President Ronald Reagan and uh, Pope John Paul II. You live through the, uh, the transition from communism to a f much freer Poland. What was that like for you as a young child? Well, it was a struggle, I must say, and it still is in a way. I mean, to give you an example, my mom came to the U.S. for a year without us. Um, she you know, gained money for buying an apartment in Poland, which my father as a doctor could never afford. Uh, so we were separated for a year. And today I could come with my children to the U.S. They came to, they went to American school. So this is the difference, you know, really visible in our lives, how it was back then and how it is here. Until this day, when I land on any American airport, the first thing I buy is American M&Ms because they taste just like the M&Ms that my mom would send us in the package. And they taste differently than those produced in Europe. <laughs> 
Next time I have M&Ms, I love them myself, Paulina. I, I'll, I'll see if they remind me of other things in my childhood. Ate too much candy when I was a kid. I'm surprised I still have my teeth. By the way, if I may, I, uh, I took a picture of my kids in the National Gallery, Portrait Gallery here in Washington with one president, and that was President Ronald Reagan because he's still in our hearts as Poles. So uh, you've grown up and you studied communications and you teach communications now and you have a specific focus of your course on communications uh, within the church and how we as a Catholic community communicate at all different levels. What inspired you to study communications and, and to have that emphasis? Well, in Poland, actually, the uh, most of the studies have the specialty of journalism and communication. So I wanted to study journalism, and that was because of 9-11. Uh, when I was finishing my high school, 9-11 happened, and I remember I was sitting in front of the television screen uh, seeing the, the Polish anchors just, you know, telling us what happened. And I thought at that moment, I want to do that. I want to report the news for the people. So I entered the journalism and communication school at the University of Warsaw. Uh, but, you know, life changes and kids came. So journalists and news anchoring and going to wars was not possible anymore, although I loved it. Um, and, and so I thought maybe I need something, you know, more stable to, to think about. So I, I used my journalism skills, uh, to teach communications at the Pontifical University of John Paul II and to build a television studio there for students so that they learn journalism based in values, in Christian values. Um, and what made me really love this side of my soul, as I call it very, very much, is World Youth Day. I became an international director for, um, a director for international media for World Youth Day, working specifically on church communications. And I saw with World Youth Day, how important is it? How important is to professionally communicate an event like that, how to professionally communicate uh, the church? So many of us as Catholics have read what St. John Paul II wrote. We read what Pope Francis uh, writes. We have seen them both as communicators, but that's different from studying how, how they communicate, how they effectively engage their audience. How do they encounter the people to whom they're communicating with? Thankfully, we have you with us. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you could talk for hours on this, but what's one or two things of first St. John Paul II's communication approach that you particularly are inspired by and love? Well, what was amazing about John Paul II, of course, that we all remember was his personality. I mean, he could be, uh, you know, he himself was a communicator of the church, right? With his acting uh, capabilities, with his uh, with his amazing voice, with his language talents, where he could communicate it to anyone in their language. Uh, but he understood at the same time that however brilliant the Pope is with his personal communications, he needs to professionalize the communications of the Vatican so that the church is well-framed. And he understood it 40 years ago. I mean, not many leaders had spokespeople at the time. So what did he do? 
he, as he usually did, when he didn't know what to do, he invited people to the apostolic palace to give him advice, and he really listened to them. So he invited two people. One was Alberto Michelini, a famous anchor of telegiornale in Rai, the Italian television. And the other was his best friend, Joaquin Navarro Valls, a numerary of Opus Dei and a correspondent of ABC um, newspaper, Spanish newspaper in Rome. Navarro told him at that meeting that the Vatican doesn't need a reform, it needs a revolution. What Don Paul II did? He hired Navarro as his spokesperson, who was the first lay spokesperson and director of the media office Sala Stampa in the Vatican. He was a trusted man of the Pope. The Pope told him everything and told Navarro, you decide what goes to the public. So he trusted him fully. And that's the thing we can learn from John Paul II. Even you're a great, even if you're a great bishop, you know, great person, great CEO, it's not enough that you're great. You need a professional to help you communicate your institution. And I think that's a genius take from John Paul II. Excellent. And you've also been studying Pope Francis. It's his election on March 13th, 2013. What's one or two things that you admire most about his communication approach? I think it really started with the Buonasera. I mean, when we saw from the balcony how personally he communicates with us, I think we all remember John Paul II, you know, when he stood on this balcony. So we knew that we have a very personal approach of the Pope to communications. And his famous, famous sentence is, the church is a field hospital. And that's how Pope Francis communicates. He leads by example, you know, touching the sick, being with them, spending time with the poor, uh, dining with homeless. I mean, what kind of message do you send if you say at the Angelus, oh, it's my name day today, so I'll have ice cream for all the homeless here in Rome distributed by my almoner, Polish Cardinal Konrad Kajewski. So these are this is leadership through example. This is how he communicates. And this very personal style is very valuable for many Catholics. And, you know, Pope Francis also, the other thing that I love uh, with Pope Francis' communications is listening. He really encourages us to keep silent and listen, to pause for a moment and listen to what others have to say because it bears fruit. One of the things that unites uh, St. John Paul II and Pope Francis, in my mind, from, as communicators, is even though they're communicating to billions of people with their messages. They communicate in a one-to-one -one personal way that if you're, in, if you're in a moment of conversation with them, even though there might be a long line of people after you and they've already greeted hundreds before you, they're fully present, both of them, which puts into practice these principles that you've just been sharing with us. Absolutely. And I remember what Professor Rocco Buttiglione, a famous Italian philosopher and friend of Pope John Paul II, told me. Uh, he said when he first met Pope, Pope uh, John Paul II, he was a young man just standing there in the crowd, uh, you know, at St. Peter's. He didn't know him in person. And he said, and John Paul II looked in my eyes. And I knew at this moment that this man would be willing to give his life for me. That was a look in his eyes. And that's also what we feel with Pope Francis. One of the many reasons why we 
so many of us were saying Santo Subito, sainthood now for John Paul II. So uh, you're involved in many projects, uh, clearly in Poland, but also here in the United States. Uh, at Catholic University, they have this initiative called the Catholic Project, and it's focused on the way that the Catholic Church has communicated on the, the tragic issue of the sexual abuse of minors, but not just minors. Uh, so you have studied that, you've helped uh, teach not only on communications. What can we as Catholics do to communicate better on this issue, to advance not only the healing of those who have been the victims and survivors of sexual abuse, but also for the entire church so that we can move forward, never forgetting those moments, but also to focus on our key mission, which is to tell people, everybody across the world about who Jesus is and who he is for us and why he died for us and what that makes available to us. So what can we as individual Catholics uh, learn from what you and others at the Catholic Project have been teaching to help us advance on so many levels, uh, you know, uh, on the sexual abuse issue? Yeah. So the number one principle in any crisis communications, and clear, clearly it is a crisis, it was in the United States, it is now in Poland and in other places in the church. So the number one pr principle is victims first. So the first thing we need to do, also learning from the popes that we love, um, is listening. Listening to survivors really changes our mindset. Embracing their pain, being that healing balm on their wound. And listening is very often a first step of their healing, that someone listened. Sometimes it is their spouse, their wife, their husband. Sometimes it is, you know, a, a victim assistant coordinator in the diocese. Sometimes it is a friend. Um, sometimes it is a bishop. So we all need to be open to listening because we may have a friend who was holding that secret for years. So that's the number one rule. If we understand and embrace the pain, that we're, then we're able to understand why they're angry. I mean, it ruined their life. It's sometimes, you know, they finished, they didn't finish universities because of that. They didn't have, you know, a marriage because of that or their marriage crumbled because of that. It's really human tragedies. So once we understand that, we may also understand why they're angry, why they may be screaming, you know, that the church is bad. When we understand their pain, we're able to enter dialogue and we're able to help them go through that pain. And that's what Christians should do. Um, so I would say that's the number one principle, victims first, and we can embrace them in our parishes, we can embrace them in our communities, we can embrace them personally, just having coffee or a phone conversation with them and just be with them, listen and dedicate our time. Beyond the physical harm of being abused, many of them, the emotional scars of not being believed or coming to people um, who represent the church expecting the response that we would expect Jesus would have for us and getting something far from it created sometimes deeper wounds I've heard from victims of uh, the sexual uh, victims of sexual abuse while they were children so also communicating that we we know you, we love you, we hear you uh, beyond, that can do immense good in terms of the helping them take the next step, which is to get healing in a lot of different ways, but that they know that they're supported and loved by Catholics. 
knowing that in pre, you know previous years or decades they were harmed by people representing the church. Right. What is also important, and I would say this is a second very important level of of healing, is transparency from the institutional church. I mean, without transparency, we can't move forward. We have to put on the table whatever mud and dirt we had in order to thrive. I mean, nothing will grow, as we know from the gospel, on the bad land, right? So we have to clean it up so that the evangelization mission is carried in the church. So victims first for all the people, all the Catholics, all the Christians here, but for the the institutional church, transparency is, I would say, equal to this role. So one of the challenges about this issue for Catholics is it's hard to talk about. It's hard to think about. Um, and many of us choose to say that's somebody else's role. Um, I'm not good at it. I'm not comfortable. I haven't been trained, perhaps, in your communications course on, you know, how to talk about this in the right way, conveying the mission of the church, the mission of love that we're supposed to represent to other people. What would you say to people who are like, oh, I'm uncomfortable talking about it on why more of us need to be talking about it so that the church can move forward? Oh, well, first I would challenge uh, the people, all the people, for instance, on social media. How easy is to criticize the church for not doing a good job? How easy is to sometimes criticize, oh, it's an attack on the church, the whole sexual abuse thing. If we can say that, why can't we say, what are your needs to the victims of sexual abuse, to the church? Maybe I can help with something. Maybe my skills could help. And this is what this project, actually, me coming to Catholic Project at CUA, this was born from a simple notion. Necessity is the mother of invention. I have the skills that can help the church. Uh, so maybe the church in Poland can learn from best practices and mistakes of the church in the U.S., so maybe I'll come using my skills in order to help the church, both in Poland and the universal church that is struggling with communicating the issue and with managing the issue. So all of us can think that way. Maybe my skills can help. And if I think that I don't have any professional skills that can help, go to your parish pastor and say, you know what, if you have anything for me, I can help because I'm a part of this community and I'm sure there are people that are hurt in this community. Thank you for accepting this nudge, uh, perhaps from the Holy Spirit, to uh, use your professional training to help the church at a moment. It's been going on for 20 years publicly uh, in a high-profile way in the United States, but across the world, um, uh, many Catholic communities in different countries are just now learning from what you're teaching, from what we've learned here in the United States. So thank you for that, Paulina. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Where can people find more about what you write and what you teach online? Well, uh, we're all on social media, so I'm only on Twitter, actually, so you won't find me on Facebook. Uh, I decided that it just takes too much of my time, so I decided on the professional uh, source of journalists, so Twitter. So you can definitely find any of my works, both in Polish and in English, on Twitter. In English, I write for crooks, so if you want to know more about, for instance, the church in Poland and the abuse crisis going on in the church there, you can find it on, um, on the crooks website, crooksnow.com. Uh, 
Um, and if anyone is watching us that is speaking Polish, you can find me on Polish television. I, I run a program every week uh, on church issues globally and in Poland. So I invite you to tune in uh, to Polish television. Um, but my academic works can be also find just on the internet in, in uh, you know, different places. So if you Google me, I'm sure you'll find me. <laughs> Thanks for your very very many initiatives to help uh, move, move the church forward in so many ways. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast to help us edify Catholics so that together we can edify America. Thank you so much. And thank you for your amazing work. Thank you for listening. To make it easy for you to listen to future Edify podcast episodes, please make sure you subscribe over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you.